Welcome to episode 407 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers Centre, where you'll find wonderful writing courses and a fabulously supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and her latest book is The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery. How are you, Al? I'm I'm okay. I'm really busy. I know it's really annoying okay. when people say that. Like, you know, when you say to people, how are you going? And they go, oh, busy. Everyone's busy. We're all busy. We're yeah, very much busy. out busying busy. each other in all directions. Yes. But it is actually the only response that I have this week. I, I'm sorry. Okay. I, usually try to, well, I do usually try to avoid, you know, fine or busy or whatever. Um, but, yeah, this time i got nothing. But what are you busy with? Oh, just, I don't know, everything. Like the whole world is busy at the moment. I just feel as though it's all gone a bit nuts. I, well, you know, I've, I'm, what am I doing? I'm overhauling things and I'm working on that, on my Your Kids Next Read podcast and I am packing up my house because I'm going to be moving in a little while and I'm trying to organise my children, which is just, just like, honestly full-time job in itself a full-time job um mm. and just yeah like just a whole bunch of stuff going on so I I am finding it quite difficult just to even think in a cohesive fashion today <laughs> so I I'm I'm just going to put a disclaimer up front on this podcast that I am not responsible for what comes out of my mouth today because it's not good <laughs> okay what good. about you how are you going do I sound like I'm I on, am. do I sound like a chipmunk because I feel like that's how I'm talking <laughs> I am pretty excited because I moved recently, which, um, as you know, and while I used to be about 15 minutes away from the famous Bonoffi at Chargill Charlie's, I am now about two minutes away, I realised the other day. Did you move just so you would be closer? (laughs) You did, didn't you? No, but the lure of the Bonoffi has had you move house. That's insane. You shouldn't have done that. You're going to look like a Bonoffi now. I know. I'm going to look like a Bonoffi because people keep sending me all of these instances of Bonoffi, which is great. And the most recent one is um, Pamela Freeman actually went to Ikea, I think, and she sent me that Ikea now have Bonoffi tart. Ikea has Bonoffi. I know. I think Bonoffi has jumped the shark if no, it if Ikea has got Bonoffi. Do you think we need to explain <laughs> what Bonoffi is to anyone oh, who yes, might sorry. have actually just popped in, you know, just dropped in on yes, us yes. and then here we are speaking about something that's – it, it's not Australian though. It's a, I think, you know, you can definitely get Bonoffi mm. in the UK, right? I don't I think know. You can, no, I I'm pretty sure that's uh, where I first yeah, heard of it sure. um, back in the day Probably, when I was living yes. there. But um, – I'm not sure if it's a year. Yeah, so if, if you are a new listener, this isn't so you want to yeah, eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is so you want to be a writer. Uh, and I do have an obsession with banoffee pie, which is basically banana and caramel and cream in a kind of tart sort mm. of situation. And it is very important to writing because I often use it as my reward after reaching a writing milestone. And it's surprisingly very effective. I, I you so, should see my face at anyway. the moment. Like I have got the biggest like it's just like <laughs> it's like my I'm all wrinkled up and crinkled because I cannot think of anything worse than rewarding myself with banoffee. <laughs> personally. But that's what makes us work. Okay. We are the yin and the yang that's of right. desserts, right? Allison is team chocolate, I'm team banoffee. <laughs> because as far as but I'm concerned, it's give... not dessert if it's not chocolate, right? 
Oh. Anyway, let's move on. We want to give a big shout out to Lid Char from Australia who kindly left us a five-star review. And I love this review. This is what Lid Char wrote a page turner of a podcast. If this podcast were a book, it would be a New York Times bestseller. It has a clear, distinctive voice to, in fact, well-rounded main characters, probably because of all the chocolate and banoffee we eat. Getting more and more (laughs) well-rounded. A solid structure without a saggy middle, (laughs) unless you ask Al, who may suggest skimming through word of the week. Personally, I don't feel it it progresses the plot, but that's okay. (laughs) Why? Oh, okay. I disagree. And it challenges me to think differently. When I get to the end, I can't wait to go back into that world again. Highly recommend. Wow. I love that. I love now, that. I feel like a star now. I feel like a, the star of yes. my own podcast slash book. That's excellent. Yes, thank you so much, Lee Chai. We really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review. And if anyone else has 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or your particular podcast app, we'd love it if you could do that because it helps us in the rankings and it helps other people discover us as well. Now, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing, shall we, Al? Oh, it's probably time we did that. (laughs) All right. So listeners may remember that uh, in our 400th episode, which was all about you, where we are, no, we didn't ask, we answered all of your questions. There was a question about doing more coverage on indie authors. And we mentioned that we were going to write a blog post that compiled the indie authors that we have interviewed on this podcast. And we have done that. And you'll find the link in the show notes, or you can simply go to the Writer Center blog, which is writercenter.com.au slash blog and find the post, which is called Indie Author Success Stories to Inspire You. Now, there's been a whole bunch of different authors that we have interviewed, some who have been 100% indie, some of who whom were traditional and then went indie. So, um, yeah, which ones do you – stood out for you? For me? Um, oh, a couple. So – well, actually quite a few of them. So the Hugh Howey one that we did, which was a very early oh, episode, yeah. I cannot remember exactly very. which one, um, mm. was was quite hilarious for me in many ways. So there are a couple of reasons. One was that at the time, uh, particularly, he, he was huge. Like he was, um, that Wool Trilogy was massive and it was one of those mm, books massive. that had been um, put out, he had self-published it, and then it was bought by a traditional publisher, um, and it had gone everywhere. Like it was a, it was a huge selling book, and it was also my first uh, interview for the podcast that was international. And so the time zone mm. thing was hilarious because, you know, I had small children and I was having, it was like I was Harry Potter under the stairs, you know, trying to have this interview <laughs> and not wake up the household. Um, so it was memorable for that reason. But it was also just a very, very interesting, you know, conversation with someone who had been published, um, you know, both ways and which way, you know, that, that he preferred. And um, so it was a really great interview from that perspective. And he was very, very optimistic about about the the future of books and, you know, publishing in all its various different forms. So that one I really enjoyed. Um, The one that I did with Joanna Penn was just fascinating because 
Um, mm. Again, it was a very early episode and she at that stage, she is a huge, huge name in indie publishing uh, these days and was on the way to building that um you know, at the time that we spoke a few years ago. And she had one of the best websites for and, and still mm. maintains one of the best websites for uh, writers, um, particularly those who are uh, self-publishing um, of anybody, uh, particularly when it came to, you know, she, she was just so good at she shares everything that she does. So all the steps that she's yeah. taken to create this amazing kind of career that she's had, um, she shares all of that stuff on the on her website and then she also has a podcast and she has a, you know, whatever. But she one of the things that she did, um, and this is how I first discovered her before I interviewed her, was that she had a giveaway which was basically a blueprint for marketing a book you know, and creating a website and doing all these different things, which I discovered like years and years and years ago. And it was an extraordinary thing for her to give away. Um, and it, made, it, mm. it it sort of is a thing that she still, I'm pretty sure she still has as a giveaway for her, you know, as a sign up to her newsletter. Um, so I would imagine her database is massive. Uh, but if you are looking for step by step, you know, just the nuts and bolts, it is a very, very deep well of a website. And it was a great interview. Mm. Because again, you know, she was she's such a generous, like the best interviews. And I have to say, most of the authors that we interview are like this, uh, are the ones who just, you know, lay it all out, tell you everything, you know, answer the questions in a full and mm. fulsome way. So that was a great one to do. Um, like I, I've enjoyed them all. Like Tori DeRoach's one about the yeah. about her memoir was fantastic. Like I really, really enjoyed that. And, of course, Jodie Gibson, you know, Australian author Jodie Gibson, yes. who has been, you know, my friend on the internet for many, many years. Um, Go Jodie. Jodie. And interviewed, uh, sorry, interviewed, indie published her um her book, The Memories We Hide, um, and again, incredibly generous with all the things that she's been doing. Yes. Um, she is one of those people that I have watched, you know, from a distance, obviously, because we're internet friends, we're not sitting next to each other, um, about, you know, just the way that she has gone about um, creating relationships and a network and sharing what she knows. And she go she goes to the festival, she does the things, and um, I very much enjoyed um, her the, the interview that we did as well. It was really great. Yeah, I loved all of them as well. And one of the ones that really stood out for me was Brett Battles. Uh, he started off traditionally published with um, an imprint of Random House, but then Random House restructured and he kind of just got shoved to the side or he, he, he wasn't a priority mm -hmm. anymore. So he decided to indie publish. And he, I, I love the way he describes it because he makes in excess of six figures um, US dollars, um, so does quite well just off his, you know, the income that he gets from books. Um, and he has said that since he decided to go indie, he said, I basically haven't looked back since. Um, and what he, he, he likens it to the idea of a snowball because he writes several. So he, he doesn't just survive off one book or a couple of books. He writes a couple of books a year and combined together because when people discover some, one of his books, they like it and they want to read his other books. Mm. So it, the, his, the snowball just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he has almost like a a framework for and 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 a very very clear um, schedule during his year of when he's writing, when he's promoting, when he's releasing, and all of that. 
and has been very successful in his six-figure income just from his indie publishing. So we'll put the list um, in the show notes. Like I said, you can just find it on the blog as well because you can have a look at all of the different people and take inspiration from their success in indie publishing and, you know, listen to the episodes, of course, because you'll get so much out of it if you go back and listen to the episodes if you're interested in indie publishing. All right, so let's move on to our competition this week. Oh, this is a good one. Um, We have three copies of the book Reading Like an Australian Writer, edited by Belinda Castles. All writers begin as readers. This is an ode, a love letter to the magic of reading, to the spark that set off when the reader thinks, I can do this too. Here, 26 writers take us through these moments of revelation through the dog-eared pages of their favourite Australian books. Among them, poet Ellen Van Nieven finds kin on the page with Miles Franklin winner Tara June Winch. A.S. Patrick finds a dark mirror for our times in David Malouf's retelling of an episode from the Iliad. Ashley Hay pens letters of appreciation and friendship to Charlotte Wood. Reading Like an Australian Writer is a delightful, inspirational and heartfelt collection of essays that will enrich your reading of Australian stories and guide you in your own writing. So we have three copies to give away. Just go to writerscentercomau slash win and follow the instructions on how to enter. Entries close on the 7th of June. That's writerscentercomau slash win. Now, did you know, because we just mentioned Tara June Winch, that she was a contestant on Hard Quiz? No. <laughs> honestly categorically no I was watching hard quiz and I go oh that's that person familiar and then it was Tara I'm like oh there you go fun fact there you go fun fact all right Al are you ready for the word of the week you fun fact I don't know that I am but anyway I know you you know what it doesn't matter what I say you're gonna do it anyway right (laughs) I might as well just resign myself so true Yes. All right. Qua qua versal. <laughs> qua qua versal. What was that? <laughs> it's such a good word. It's a great word. I'll give you that. Qua qua versal. So Q U Q U A Q U A V E R S A L. Qua qua versal. Huh. Do you know what it is? No. Like who does? Okay. Oh, you know what? There might well, be some people that do, but know. they would be a particular Probably. kind of person, I think. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> it is not the sound that a duck makes, even though I sounded like a duck just no, then. You didn't. If it's you were an... said quack quaversal, you would have sounded like a duck. Quack quack. Yeah, but it could be a posh quack, duck. Quack. It's a very yeah. posh duck. <laughs> <laughs> it's an adjective meaning turning in all ways from a central point. So if you picture a dome and the way the ribs come out in all directions from the central point, that's quaquaversal. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I, Moving yeah, right along. I, I think we might as well just leave that one right there. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue, and much more, as well as tips on publishing. 
The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Here's what Frances Chapman says. Hi, I'm Frances Chapman and I've done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. I was looking for a course that uh, would introduce me to other people who would be able to tell me if, if it was any good or if I was on the right track. I first enrolled in a creative writing course at the Australian Writers' Centre and I really liked the tutor of that course so I had, an, had another look and she was doing a um, six month write your novel course the next year and I was also pregnant and so I was on maternity leave and I thought oh this would be a great opportunity to focus on my writing. The course was so valuable in so many ways. I felt found writing such a solitary, lonely pursuit in some ways. And this gave me an opportunity to meet other people who were going through the same kind of process. And I found some people who were willing to give me some really constructive and helpful feedback on what I was writing. The other thing that was really valuable in that course was learning some of the fundamentals of storytelling. I was a very sort of intuitive writer, but the actual building blocks of telling a story that was not something that I knew anything about. Um, these were things I'd really struggled with and that course gave me some of those fundamentals. I was so fortunate to be shortlisted for the Amsterdam Prize. And then about a week or so later, she called me and said that I was the winner and I was trying so hard to be cool. <laughs> and I, um, I jumped up and down and I made like little noises, but not into the phone and into the phone I was saying, Yes, that's, yes, that sounds fine. That would be great. Yes, lovely. Okay. But inside I was just hyperventilating. My debut novel, Stars Like Us, is about a teenage rock band who hit the big time and things don't go as planned. It's a whirlwind adventure and I'm really excited about it. So I'm always writing, but I keep two days to myself a week for my fiction writing. I think putting boundaries around your time is really important. It's really important to sit down and take that time for yourself to write. You're not a writer if you don't have any readers. That's the role that workshopping plays in bridging that gap. I would highly recommend any courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. Any author can, at any stage of their career can benefit from hearing the input of other writers. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel writing. All right, so let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who is it, Al? It is the wonderful Lynette Noni. Um, who is, uh, Lynette is a YA fantasy author, Australian, and I was really keen to talk to her about her new book called The Prison Healer because she has a, a series called the Medoran Chronicles. Um, the first book is called Arcane, and it is one of those series that um, comes up over and over and over again in the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group. Um, so it's one of those books that's like it was a real slow burner in the sense that it was one of those books that kids picked up and then just ran with, you know. So I was really looking forward to talking to Lynette about her new um, book, The Prison Healer. Lynette Noni is the number one best-selling and multi-award winning author of the Medoran Chronicles and Whisper and is collaborating with Sarah J Maas on the world of throne and glass. Her latest novel, however, is The Prison Healer and it's out now. Welcome to the program, Lynette. 
Thank you so much for having me. Very exciting to have you here because um, as our regular listeners will know, I run a Facebook community called Your Kids Next Read, which has about 16,000 members. And it's full of teachers and booksellers and parents and librarians and all sorts of people, um, you know, asking for the next great read for their kid who's into whatever they're into. And your books, the Medoran Chronicles, come up over and over and over over in that particular group. So I'm very excited to be talking to you, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. How did your first novel come to be published? Wow. Wow. That is taking me back a bit. Um, so <laughs> I never, I never actually intended to be an author. Um, I, I wasn't ever one of those people who grew up with that as, as my dream. I, I always loved reading, but I'd never even thought of, of writing. Um, but one day, you know, I couldn't find a book that I wanted to read. There was a lot of, of young adult books hitting the market. It was kind of in the post-Twilight era. And um, they all had things that I wanted uh, in, the, in each book, but I wanted all of those elements in one book. And so one day I just purely out of, you know, wanting this book, I decided to sit down and try and write the book I wanted to read. And so uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but because it was just for me, it didn't, it didn't really matter. Um, and so I wrote it and that first book was Akane, which is the first book in my Medoran Chronicles series. And so even though, um, even once I'd finished writing it, I still didn't intend on anyone to read it. Uh, but I, it kind of ended at a point where I was like, oh, this is a nice story, but, you know, I kind of really love these characters now and I feel as if I could continue on and see what happens next. And so I did. I went on and I wrote book two, which is called Raelia. And unlike Akane, Raelia kind of ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. And so I reached this point and I realized I just had a lot of emotions and no one knew about this world or these characters, so I didn't have anyone I could talk to about them. And so that was when I kind of started to think, maybe I'll, I'll try and get published and, and just see what happens. Um, but I have to, you know, mention here that I, I didn't know anyone in the writing world. I didn't, I, I'd never even been to an author signing. I had never been to any kind of author event, workshop, anything. I had no idea about anything in this industry. And so I kind of just, I mean, I've always been a pretty good researcher. So I just, just, I Googled a lot <laughs> and I, I went, I, I looked into it a lot and did a lot of those, you know, how do you get published kind of searches. And, and I learned about literary agents and I learned about self-publishing and traditional publishing and all the different avenues open to me. Um, but because, you know, I had so little confidence in my own work, I knew that um, if I was to continue forward with this, I wanted to go down the traditional publishing path as opposed to self-publishing, mostly because I, I knew I could see how much uh, incredible work self-published authors put into what they're doing with the marketing and, and just every part of it. And I had no, like, no idea how to do any of that. And so I thought, well, if I'm traditionally published, it's kind of a, you know, it means someone likes this book enough that they believe in it and they believe in me. So I'm going to try that path. And so I did, I tried that path, but the problem was at that point in time, uh, especially in Australia, publishers weren't really accepting authors who didn't have an agent. But at that particular time, especially in YA, agents weren't really accepting authors unless they had a publisher. So I felt like <laughs> I felt like I was stuck on the outside of this circle that had no way of getting in. Um, but I persisted and I kept trying and I looked at it. I, you know, queried a lot of overseas agents and I had a lot of interest and, um, but it never really kind of Went anywhere. I should mention here that also my first manuscript, which was YA 
it was uh, like 180,000 words, okay. <laughs> which is excessively huge for, you know, anyone to want to take on at that point as a debut author. Um, so okay, can I I just, did... let me just stop you briefly for one second here because I have so many questions that have come up okay. and I need to actually, we just need to go into them a little bit before we go forward to how you actually got this thing over the line. Um, okay. So you sat down. Okay, first of all, why fantasy? Obviously, was that what you were reading at the time? Yeah, I've always kind of gravitated towards fantasy. Um, when I was a kid, actually, I, I loathed it, um, mostly because I'd never tried it. My brother was always the fantasy person in my family. I feel like I think he came out of the womb reading Lord of the Rings. And so that was kind of his thing. And so, and I was like a total horse freak. So I would, I, like I said before, I, I've always read a lot. So I would read anything with a horse on it. I would devour the Saddle Club series and the Thoroughbred and Pony Pals. And, and then once those, once I'd gotten current and they had no new releases, I would then read encyclopedias about horses and saddle care and all kinds of like anything, um, nonfiction, like, you know, memoirs, you name it. Um, but when I was 12, um, I think it was 12, I was in year seven and, uh, um, for school we had to, in English class, we had to read Over Newton by Isabel Carmody mm. and, um, and Isabel Carmody is a incredible Australian fantasy author, but you know, I didn't care. I didn't want anything to do with this no. fantasy genre. Of course uh, not. No, I mean, this is, you know, I, I, I also didn't want to fail, you know, year seven English. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I read the book and um, for anyone who's read any of Isabel's works, you'll know that, you know, she just immediately sweeps you away into these worlds of wonder. And I just, it was like my, my whole life had kind of opened up and my worldview of, of this, you know, there was talking animals and there was um, mind speaking people and there was, you know, just magic and all this, this stuff that was just beautiful. And, um, and that was kind of, you know, after that I needed, I needed more of this, 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 this kind of fantasy. So obviously natural progression was straight into Narnia. Um, and then after that um, I was kind of, I was kind of blackmailed into reading Harry Potter, if I'm being honest. Right. <laughs> Um, that's a story if you want that I'm not sure. <laughs> no that's fine that, that could take us down a path we may never come back from but yeah um so how okay so you finished school what did you go and do with yourself at that point um so after school ended I oh what did I do I took a year um kind of a gap year and I worked and I saved up money and um at the time I had uh, surprise I had a horse and I was competing <laughs> other things and um and so I was in the process of kind of it was a big shift in my life so I was in the process of selling that horse and you know moving on to like I knew that the following year I was going to be moving to the city so I didn't have yeah. you know it's not real easy to keep a horse in the middle of the city um and so it was kind of a transition year for me and so then the following year after that, I went to uni, but I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I uh, started a Bachelor of Arts and I, I did everything from journalism to academic writing to philosophy and sociology and psychology and Spanish. And, you know, like wow. I just... I lasted all of two weeks in Spanish class, probably because I took it at the same time as French and I knew neither language. And um, uh, that was, it was a, it was a learning experience. Um, but so I, I mostly gravitated towards the sociology subjects and then I kind of ended and the psychology subjects. And I decided that I wanted to be a counselor. Um, 
But then once I then started studying counselling, I realised that I take on the world's problems and eat my weight in ice cream to try and get over (laughs) them. Um, And so then I ended up kind of doing the counselling subject, but without the prac work, which meant I came out of uni with a social science degree in human behaviour. So that was kind of my first couple of years after school, still me not writing at that point. All right. So how old were you when you sat down to write what became the first book, uh, what became Akane? I think I was 24. All right. So, yeah. And did you have a day job at that point? I did. I was working at a photography studio. Um, I I wasn't a photographer. I was just working in the post-production side of things. Um, I'd just come back from an overseas trip. So after I finished uni, I went, I was going to do a gap year overseas in Europe um, and I was gone and I'd planned the entire thing. And um, two weeks or one week into my arrival, I got deathly sick. Um, And so like I was in and out of different hospitals and then I got so sick that, you know, I then tried to come home, but then the Icelandic volcano went off. And so I literally got (laughs) stranded over there. So it was this big saga. Um, And then finally, after six weeks of waiting for the volcano to kind of settle enough for flights to start up again and everything I got home and then it took me three months to recover and then I needed a job and so my best friend at the time worked at a photography studio and they just um they just hired me on the spot to come and do admin work and yeah so I was working at that place while I was writing so it was really it was really good for me because I had a creative outlet through the photography side of things but it wasn't a like a stressful job in any way so I, w- I could come home and and once I decided that I wanted to write I would easily just transition from work mode okay. straight into writing mode. So just to clarify you you sat down and wrote 180,000 words um, without mm-hmm. really knowing anything about publishing being an author ever going to a writing you know workshop or whatever and then you then you decided that there was more of the story so you wrote another how many words? How many were in the second one? I think it was probably about 160 or 170 for the first. Like these, I should, I should clarify. These are not good words. No, 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 no. But I'm just, I'm just fascinated by the process. Like I'm actually fascinated by the process of this, of you thinking, you know what, I'm just going to write this book and it's, you know, 160,000 words or however many. And then the story is so interesting to you that you write another, let's call it a hundred. So you've written approximately 250,000 words and then you think, oh, Maybe I'll see if I can get this published. Pretty much. Yeah. I I mean, I had a lot of learning to do at that point, a lot of growth. And and, um, some of the most helpful things were when I was querying agents, um, you know, for anyone who, any writers who have tried querying agents, you'll know that out of, you know, every 10 that you query, maybe one of them will reply. And usually it's a, you know, a, not interested but I I had a I was fortunate that a couple of them um offered like just even like a one line saying you know I really like your characters here but you need to work on your world building or um you know one one of the most helpful things from an agent who did reject the manuscript was um you know this is a really enjoyable book but your villain needs to come into it a lot sooner so Mm. at that point my villain came at like page 100 and so I took on that feedback and he's now he now kind of comes into it in like the first chapter so and that really so throughout the process I, I just I kept an open mind to any kind of feedback that I received and I I, I used it constructively and I I did a lot of editing, having no idea that I was editing because I, you know, I had never <laughs> written a book and I didn't know the process, but I, I tweaked and I changed and and by the time 
it was actually ready to to the point that it was accepted. Um, it was down to under 120,000 words, which still big for YA, but it means I shaved off 60,000 words, which is essentially a Harry Potter book. Oh, I should also mention that part of the the process of this and part of the, the resilience I got from it was while I was drafting that first 180,000 words, my computer crashed and I lost 60,000 words. Oh, no. Um, and so I'd, I'd, I'd written 80,000 words at that point. So I'd lost almost the entire manuscript. <laughs> and I remember sitting back and thinking, well, clearly I'm not meant to write a book. <laughs> wow. um, but I was halfway through it at that point and I'd gotten to know the characters and I'd kind of reached a point where I was like, oh, but what happens next? And so that's when I was like, all right, I just need to find out. So I rewrote it all. And thankfully, you know, that. 60,000 that was lost I, I managed to make it make it a lot more um cleaner in the yeah. second go round. so it wasn't it didn't equal 60,000 the second time around um but that kind of I think that kind of setback made me really fight for it and um and and that's why when it took a number of years to actually get an offer of publishing I was willing to just kind of keep waiting and keep pushing and see where it went well it's an excellent story of creativity and resilience i'm i'm very glad we had this conversation i'm very good um now obviously the three years of submissions to agents and publishers like you've you've learned a lot from that because i i, I read somewhere it took you about three years before you were offered a contract in 2014. um mm -hmm. so obviously you've 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 almost used that as a as an as the editing you know process for your for your manuscript, what else did you learn from that submissions process? Like, obviously, it's it's teaching you about the publishing industry along the way as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. I mean, I learned a lot. I learned to that that you'll never stop editing. So you know, there'll always be yeah. something that you can. Even now, with my published books, you know, I can be like, oh, I could have changed that, or I could have improved that, or whatever it is. You know, there's never going to be a point where something is polished to perfection because it, perfection in a book doesn't exist. Mm. Um, but while I was doing everything I was doing and while I was waiting, I just kept thinking, you know, I might be getting all of these no's, but all it's going to take is one yes. And that's, that's the one that counts. And so I didn't stop. I, I wrote another book, which was the first in a different series during that time as well. And, um, and that was receiving a lot more interest, especially overseas. Um, and it was kind of a YA, YA sci-fi. And so because all that was happening, um, I kind of shifted my focus to that. And that was about the, the two, two to two and a half year in mark of things that it was written and ready for submission. Um, and then that's kind of right when, um, everything like happened. I started once. to, yeah, I, I, I was, I'd given up on my Akane series for the time because, um, most of the people that most of the agents and publishers were saying it was, it was a bit disheartening because everyone was saying, um, this book is fantastic, but there's no market for YA fantasy at the moment. Or I love your characters and I love your world, but we have something too similar on our list. Or oh. a lot of really, really complimentary things, but so for good whatever reason. Good rejections, but still exactly, rejections. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to I need to shelve this until YA fantasy comes back. Because uh, at the time it was, you know, it was vampires and werewolves and a lot of supernatural kind of things and it was moving into um, sci-fi and, and the contemporary was really on the rise as well. And so at that point, like, it was prior to, like, Throne of Glass and prior yeah. to um, uh, Victoria Aveyard and and um, uh, Red Queen and and prior to kind of around ish Cassie Clare sort of starting ish kind of time um, yeah. for or starting to build I guess and so that fantasy was 
slowly on the rise, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it hadn't really hit its stride. Um, and so I acknowledged that I read the market in a sense and, um, and I put the Midoran Chronicles on the back burner. But then one day I was walking through a shopping center in Australia and, um, and a department store called Big W and there was a book just there is a shiny cover. I'm such a cover snob. Um, and I'm, I'm totally okay with admitting that. And it was shiny. It had this foil and it was pretty and I picked it up and it was by a brand new Australian publisher or they, they were recently new publisher, um, independent publisher based in Sydney who I hadn't heard of. And so when I got home and I Googled them and I looked up their submissions process, I saw that they were accepting unsolicited manuscript. So you didn't need to have an agent. You didn't need to have prior history of publishing. And I thought, Oh, this is, well, you know, it's worth a shot. Um, and so I submitted a carnage to them. And then that was the point where I thought, right now this book is going in the drawer until you know, for a couple of years until there's more, whatever. Um, and so I forgot about that. I moved, I shifted my focus to the other book I was working on. And I was also working a little bit more in real life at that time, in real life, as if writing a book in real life, um, <laughs> my day job, I should say. <laughs> um, but then um, a month later, I got an email that just said, congratulations, you're through to the next round of our submissions process. Mm. And I, you know, I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, I've had these emails before. It's, it's not going to lead to anything. <laughs> um, but then seven months later, after that point, completely out of the blue, I received an email that said, we would really love to publish your book and your series. Um you know, and then from that point, it was kind of, you know, we'll put you on a plane, bring you down to meet us, um, get your contracts or everything like that. And, and I just, I honestly thought it was a prank. Um, I thought my brother had hacked into my emails. I was on the way to the dentist. Everything was just like, what? <laughs> um, but once I realized that it was real, it was kind of, it, it was kind of, it was very magical. It was very surreal. And, and that was kind of the beginning of it all. Wow. And it's now, the Medoran Chronicles is now six books, is that correct? Yes, five books and a novella collection. Wow. And so do you think in your mind it was always going to be a series or do you think you didn't even have that, you know, ahead yeah. of you? Yeah, I, I think I knew once because I already had the first two books uh, written prior to even deciding to get published, um, I always knew that there was more to the story. And um, there is honestly... I mean, this is a little bit embarrassing, but I know there's a lot of writers out there who are listening to this, so I'm, I'm happy to be as candid as possible. I had no idea about, um, you know, how to write a series, and so I just sat down one day and I'm like, okay, how many books should it be? And then I was like, all right, well, Twilight is four books and Harry Potter is seven books, and I just I compared it to all these different things, and then I was like, and Vampire Academy is, I think, six books and or whatever it is, and I was like, five's a good number. I can't think of anything that's five at the moment. <laughs> so was it was like, that, okay. <laughs> yeah, but that was, that was honestly the, the extent of my thought process for how big the series would be. And that's also why it ended up becoming six books essentially. Um, so yeah, no, there was, there was a marvelous amount of forethought that went into it. So given, um, given it's such a big story, given we're talking five books and a collection of novellas, how, when you're, um, Okay, you sat down, you wrote the first book, you wrote the second book. Did you have a clear picture at any point of where this massive mammoth story was going to go? Or did I you just tried. make it up as you went along? 
I had very good intentions. Um, most people will know that when you sign on with a publisher, I beg your pardon, most uh, contracted authors will know that when you sign on with a publisher, they like to know that you um, you have an idea of where things are going yes. so that you can, you know, so that they point. can have confidence. <laughs> so that you can actually produce what it it is that you're promising um and so when i sign on with my first publishers they asked for a uh, an an outline or a a synopsis of the series and i kind of you know outwardly i was like yeah cool no problem and inwardly i was like oh 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 (laughs) and so i had to thankfully again because i had the first two books i had a bit of a good jumping off point to you know, that I knew the characters a lot better than if I just met them in one book and and I'd already started to unfold the world a bit more. Um, but so then I, uh, I I wrote, you know, I came up with, you know, I've spent a really good amount of time coming up with what I thought the plot would be for the next uh, three books after that to make it the five-book series. And they were, my publishers were really happy. They were like, yep, this is great. But the reality is once I started drafting the third book, within the first, I think, two chapters, the entire, my entire plot went out the window. The main character goes to a place that she was never meant to go to and meets people who she was never meant to meet. And these all become really main places and really main characters that change the entire course of the the arc in the series going forward. So, um, you know, as, as good as my intentions were, when it came to the Medoran Chronicles, I wasn't capable of sticking to my synopsis. But interestingly, with my other books that I've written, I very much have stuck to a plot. So, uh, for me, I, I don't have a um, you know a format as to how I write. Sometimes I have a very clear idea of what's happening with the series, and sometimes uh, I just have to leave creative space for things to change. Do you think it's um, because now that you are a contracted author, you have to write to deadlines? You have to you know you've you've got more structure to your writing life, so to speak. Um, I mean, I was contracted back with these books too. So, you know, when I went into writing the third book of the Medoran Chronicles, I really, you know, there's nothing really different to my deadlines then than now, I guess. Mm. So I think I've just grown as a writer and I've come to realize, um, you know, and it really depends on the book. So with the, the whisper series, for example, which is a duology that I have, it's a lot more psychological and there's a lot of twists in it. And so, um, the first book I wrote very similar to the Medoran Chronicles and kind of having no idea what I was doing. But with the second book, there was so many intricate kind of plot twists, especially towards the end, that I, I had to take a few steps back from it and have a big storyboard and and see how I was going to weave in those kind of hints about things early on so that when they unfolded, it was a bit more of a light bulb oh my gosh, how did I not see that? I could have seen that kind of thing. Um, And so I think it really, for me, it depends on, on the book that I'm writing and, and a lot of those things that kind of guides how I do things. Okay. So for you, what do you think are the keys to creating a great YA fantasy novel? Oh man, if we had those in a list form, everyone would be happy, wouldn't they? (laughs) Right. Just give me a couple of options. (laughs) Well, I can't speak for anyone else. For me personally, um, when I'm reading a book, I I really value, uh, I, and I think it comes from you know my background in human behavior. But I really I connect most with the characters. So mm. I really love characters who are fleshed out, who are three dimensional, uh, who are flawed. Um, characters that you love because they're lovable, or characters that you can 
connect with because they're relatable, even if they're not so lovable. And even the villains, you know, like all the people who are shown that way, like the complex characters, I just think they're, they are, they are the heart of the story to me. And while I, you know, I love beautiful world building and, um, and, and, um, you know, fantastic writing and everything like that, it will always be the characters that I remember from a book once I finished reading. And, um, and so I think, for me, uh, as from a reading perspective, I really like that's kind of what I'm drawn to. Um, and, and, you know, I've read books before that haven't maybe, maybe haven't had the best kind of writing style that I haven't enjoyed, but I've just, the characters have just made me fall in love with the series. So, um, and similarly on the opposite scale, I've read some books that have the most beautiful world building and the most realistic kind of experiences and you feel like you've stumbled into the book itself but if the characters are flat it's still kind of a non non-book for me so for me personally that's why I like the that's key um but everyone is different and that's the beautiful thing about writing and reading how do you know you've got a character that's big enough to sustain a series how do you know when you've got hold of of a character that's got enough going on to kind of take us through five books I don't know if you'll ever really know for sure. Um, I mean, uh, every author hopes that they're creating that character and hopes that they are um, writing someone that people will want to read about. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it, um, there's a very, I'm not going to name it, there's a very, very famous book and it had a lot of hype about it. This is years and years ago. And I was so, so, so excited for it. I can't tell you the levels of how excited I was for it. But it just, it just, when I read it, it just fell so flat because I felt like the character did nothing. They just kind of waited for things to happen to them and then they would react and then, and then that would be kind of it. And it felt like it was plodding along to just kind of, uh, give us a story that didn't really have any kind of um, emotional connection or action or anything like that. And so I, I really don't have an answer for you other than for me personally. Um, I just try, I try and create those characters who have um, uh, to use a Shrek quote <laughs> um, <laughs> in Shrek, we got, you know, um, he says, ogres are like onions. We have layers. And yeah. so I kind of, I kind of, I like to give those layers, whether they're good layers or bad layers, um, you've got to remember that these characters are essentially human beings and every human being is different and things happen to us, but also we make things happen. So I just kind of keep that in the forefront of my mind when I am writing. All right, so let's talk about your new novel, The Prison Healer, which I have read and very much enjoyed. Um, oh, I read somewhere that you wrote it to a crazy deadline. Am I right about that? Is it some kind of you're, weird thing I'm well, remembering? You're not correct but you're not wrong so in in the course of time between 2018 and 2019 i released five books um which was insane and it's kind of like a hashtag never again kind of thing and so <laughs> these were all traditionally published two of them were both end of series books and so both end of best-selling series so there was a lot of pressure on me to get them right um but because of that, I, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have any time to write outside of these two worlds or edit outside of these two worlds. And I was just, my fingers were itching to write a story and I just didn't have any free time. Um, and I didn't know what story I wanted to write, but one, uh, but early in 2019, um, something came along in my life that really heavily inspired the story of the prison healer. And, and I kind of forgot about it, but then six months later in the middle of 2019, 
um, I visited, um, I was doing Scribblers Festival, which is a children's literary festival in Perth in Western Australia. And I had a free day and everyone said, you need to go and visit Fremantle Prison. And I kind of was like, do I look like the kind of person that you recommend going to a prison to? Like, I just couldn't figure out why everyone just kept telling me. Um, but then I realized it's a heritage list of sight and it's a, you know, a beautiful kind of place to visit. And there's incredible history there. And so I went out there and um, they have this, uh, the prisoners who were ones at Fremantle Prison for laboring, they would uh, dig tunnels underneath the prison and they would, um, you know, because they had to provide the water source to the mm. prison and later to the town. And so I went down these terrifying ladders deep into the bowels of the earth and I walked through some of these tunnels and some of them that were still partially submerged. I, I, I was in like a paddle boat, like like a little canoe thing, and I would paddle through them. And, and it was just the most incredibly, um, I, I, I just this experience that I still to this day cannot describe um and then later that night I went back and I did a night tour which was actually a ghost tour but you got to see like the hangman's noose and the the flogging posts and the cells and all this stuff that just this prison just came alive in my mind and coupled with the thing that inspired me earlier that year which came back to me in a hurry um when I was on the flight back to Queensland which is a five six hour flight I just I just started writing and so I had a window of time which was about a month and I just, I wrote The Prison Healer in 26 days from that wow. point. I wow. just could not, I needed to get this story out of me. And so I wasn't on a deadline for yeah. it, um, but it just, it was a story that needed to be told. And um, and so it just kind of erupted out of me. <laughs> do you want to just give um, our listeners who haven't read it, read it, obviously, do you want to just give them the elevator pitch so they can hear what it's about? Oh, sure. Well, um, so essentially the prison healer follows a 17-year-old girl who has been locked in a death prison for 10 years. Um, so most people die within a couple of weeks, a couple of months of arriving. But Kiva, the girl, has survived by using her wits and keeping her head down, um, also uh, by being the healer for the other inmates and spying on them for the warden. Uh, and so then one day the rebel queen of one of the kingdoms in this world is captured and sent to the prison and uh, with her arrival, Kiva gets a secret note from the outside world from her family that says, don't let her die, we are coming. But the thing is, this rebel queen is very, very sick, and she's also been sentenced to this thing called the trial by ordeal, which is four elemental tasks that she has to compete, um, and no one has ever survived them in the current history of that world. But in order to keep her alive, Kiva volunteers in her place, knowing that if she does manage the impossible and does manage to survive, both of them will be set free. But she kind of knows that that's not possible. So basically she's just waiting and delaying in order that her family might arrive and rescue them and free them. So that's kind of the premise for the book and that's kind of the launching off point. And um, it's, you know, there's there's magic and there's adventure and there's kind of, it's a really horrific place and there's a, a lovely love interest and an incredible kind of, there's a beautiful young boy who is just this, little ray of sunshine and so it kind of has yeah all kinds of different things set in a really horrific space <laughs> mm, fabulous um and it is a great read um Thank now you. with your usual writing process you're obviously like you said you did five books you put out five books in a year there you're obviously are you writing every day uh no I mean it depends on if I'm on a deadline I um 
because I tend to write books really quickly, I, I do have to shut off the world when I'm doing that. And then I have to kind of re-enter the world after that and get some balance for mental health purposes and see my friends, see my family, remind them that I'm alive. Um, so I do like, I do though, I do have this thing where I can't be in writing mode and, um, or editing mode and also reading mode. So if I am working on one of my books, whether it's writing, drafting or revising or editing, I can't read someone else's work at that time. So once I've finished with a deadline, whichever, whether it's writing or editing, I then have, I usually get a couple of weeks to, to sleep and to read other books and to just kind of catch up on life. And so I, I don't, I know there are authors and I envy them so much who can balance that all in one day. So they'll keep like a nine to five writing day and then go on that, that night or whatever, or before it, they'll spend time with family, friends, read whatever they want to do. But I just am very um, focused on the one kind of thing at a time. Okay. Now, what can you tell us about your collaboration with Sarah J. Maas? Because, you know, that she's one of the biggest YA authors, you know, in the known universe. How did, how did that all come about? <laughs> Uh, well, Sarah and I actually met when she toured in Australia in 2015. So my first book had just come out that year um, and she was promoting, I think, Queen of Shadows, mm-hmm. um, which was her fourth book. And it was, um, yeah, so she was over here and we were both doing a Supernova tour together, which is like Comic-Con. And um, and we did, it was two weekends and we were kind of, we were signing together and we were in the green room together and we were, Um, you know, on author panels and stuff together. And we just kind of hit it off. And so when the tour ended, uh, we exchanged email addresses and we just said we'd stay in touch. Um, And we did. And then, you know, through that, I started to become a critique reader. So um, I think that was, I can't remember which book I first critiqued for her, but um, I think it might've been, uh, nope, I can't remember. Um, But so I've been critiquing for her for a while and um, and, you know, through critiquing, I've gotten to know her books really well because it's, mm. it's you know, I've got to be aware of what's happened in the previous books in order to point out problems in a draft or whatever mm. or, um, or like, even just, like, tiny, tiny things like, you know, you've said this exact line in a previous book kind of thing. So just yeah. having that attention to detail. Um, and so then the time came about where um, her publishers were talking about um, – you know, creating a world of throne of glass book. And, um, and Sarah pitched the idea that I would work on it with her and, and it just kind of, it kind of happened. Like she pitched it to me and asked my permission first. Um, and then she pitched it to them or her agent didn't. Yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, it just kind of, it kind of happened and it was very natural because I already, again, yeah. knew her world. Yeah, the relationship. I, yeah. Yeah, and I knew her, and she'd um, at that point she'd you know she'd read my books, and um, and she'd loved Whisper, which was my first US release at that point, and um, and yeah, so it just was a very natural progression of our friendship into like a working kind of partnership, and um, but keeping the friendship. So I know it's one of those strange things to me. It's just such a normal thing. Like I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. It's just, yeah, no, it's I just you know it's interesting. It's, I mean, this I guess is we often talk to um, to our listeners about you know talking to people at things you go to and creating you know relationships with other writers and mm. and different things along the way. And it's just always interesting to see that in action and and where it actually you know takes you and how it comes about. Um, yeah, connections that you meet in this industry are really, really vital to not just you know for career things, but also for your mental health because yeah. you know there's there's something you know 
I'm really good friends with um, Jessica Townsend who writes the Nevermore series and she yeah. lives just up the road from me. And when we can, we go for a beach walk together and we just, we talk about things that we can't talk about to other people because, yeah. you know, it's, it's writing industry stuff and your actual, you know, non-writer friends don't want to hear about it or don't yeah. care about it or, and, and so it's nice to just, you know, be able to say something that, you know, my agent, blah, 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 or my publisher or my editor or whatever, and not have to explain things because it's already understood. And so that's the kind of thing, um, you know, author connections and, and those kind of things, they are, they're worth, you know, more than gold in, in this industry, I would say. They are. Okay. So just switching gears a little bit, what sorts of things are you doing to promote your books? Like I'm thinking, given your YA audience, are you, you know, do you feel compelled to be active on social media, for instance? Um, I wouldn't say I feel compelled because there are plenty of authors who aren't that active. I think in this day and age, it's important to be active, mm. um, just me personally, just because, you know, um, and especially in the, in the COVID era, because, you know, having those face-to-face meet and greets where you can kind of, um, relate, uh, connect with them on that personal level. Um, I think from the very beginning of my career, I've always tried to be as, um, as responsive across social media as I can, because I know that people value that. And I know that I personally value that. Um, and so I do what I can, but you know, there are certain times if I'm on a deadline, if I'm releasing a new book, if something big is happening, um, and, and I just, I just can't keep up with it all. And, and people mostly understand that, um, but it is, it is a tricky balance and, and you just have to kind of do what you can, um, but without burning yourself out. Mm, I can't so even true. remember your question now. No, no, <laughs> I think you answered it very well. It's, you know, just, yeah, like a, you, you have to, I, I think I agree with you that you need to be there, but you also need to protect your writing time and look after yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, well, it's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you today. We're going to finish up with our final question that we ask all of our authors, um, and that would be your three top tips for authors. Ooh, three top tips. Um, well, the first one is obvious. I would say you have to read a lot. Um, I think it's really important. You need to know uh, know what you like and know what you don't like. And so, you know, it's important to read in your genre, but it's also important to read widely and to read outside of your genre and just basically absorb all the words because they, as I said before, you know, early on, I had never, I never knew I wanted to be a writer and I certainly didn't know how to write a book, but I'd always read a lot of books and because of that it was an automatic instinctual kind of jumping mm. off point into writing yeah um second tip oh gosh um I would say write first and foremost because you want to write and because you have to write for yourself um and not because you want fame or fortune or anything like that because there really is no no guarantee of that in um in this industry in actually it's probably guaranteed that it won't happen if we're <laughs> um so it'll become a real chore i have a lot of i do have a lot of people say to me you know um, I want to write a book so that I can get lots of money. And it's like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, well, I'm not going to give you that reality check, but someone no. one day, mm. um, or, you know, I want to write a book so that, you know, people across the world will know who I am. I'm like, mm, good luck, you know, like, <laughs> and it is possible. It really is, but it is really such a fraction. Um, and so, you know, to work up to it, you just, it's so important that you write because you want to write and for no other reason, because there is no guarantee of anything else. No. Um, and as for a last tip, I guess I would probably just say, 
I, I guess trying to have fun with it. Um, writing, it's you know, it's meant to be fun, and and especially, especially, I cannot emphasize that enough. Especially before you are published, you know, just enjoy the process because once you get a publishing offer, there's a shift. You know, you have deadlines and you have expectations, and you will never write. Um, another book that doesn't have, you know, that you won't have thoughts of, oh, you know, will people like this or not? And you have yeah. to silence those thoughts because you can't write from that space. But, and so you have to learn to do that. But prior to getting published, you're in this beautiful time of no one knows who you are and you can do what you want and you can just enjoy it. And that's a really, I think that's a really healthy starting off point because then whatever happens from that point onwards, you can just sort of kind of channel that again and return to that space to go forwards. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Where can our listeners find you online, Lynette? Uh, So I am on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook under uh, Lynette Noni. And I'm also, um, I have a brand new website being launched this week and it's um, www.lynettenoni.com. And that's L-Y-N-E-T-T-E-N-O-N-I. Beautiful. Thank you very much and best of luck with The Prison Healer. I hope it goes gangbusters for you. Thank you so much, Alison. This has been great. All right, so that brings us to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al, apart from being more busy? Uh, just, I'm just going to be more busy. Like that's pretty much, <laughs> you know, like there's just not really any alternative at right now to, to being more busy. I am getting ready to go, uh, well, fingers crossed because, of course, you know, there's – um, a re-emergence of some COVID uh, yes. here, well, not mm. here, here, but in Victoria. No, and Victoria. so I'm sort of hoping that that is, um, doesn't sort of spread too far because I'm supposed to be going to Queensland in a couple of yes. weeks and I'm be- actually very soon, like it's almost like next week. Um, so I'm getting ready for that and that's that's uh, very exciting, really looking forward to that. And um, and then, in the, the you know, I'm just doing all the things apart from that. What about you? Mm. What are you going to be doing? Well, now that you've mentioned COVID, I should probably get organised and uh, schedule in my first jab. So I'll probably attempt to do that. Very exciting, I know. Excellent. I look <laughs> forward to hearing all about it. <laughs> all right. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.